I'm going to invite Emily to come and bring us our reading from Nehemiah 8 this morning. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathia, Shema, Aneah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanan, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord. The great God and all the people lifted... Praise the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani... Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some, of those who have, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it out throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, 
palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua's son of Nun until that day, the Israelites, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to, Tim's going to come up and we're just going to pray for him before he preaches. God, I thank you for the words that you've given Tim this morning. I thank you that you will speak through him this morning and that we will learn more about gathering our vision for the church. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So today we continue through Nehemiah, where we're actually jumping forward three chapters from where we finished last week in chapter 4 to chapter 8. So what have we missed in the interim in those, in those chapters? Well, the people start crying out against themselves. There was a great cry and a great assembly followed by a great example. Nehemiah put serving the people ahead of getting gain for himself. The wall is completed. Sanballat and his friends start to attack Nehemiah personally. So they want to take over the city. And it reminds us that leaders are often blamed for things that they didn't do and criticized for the things that they tried to do. It's a hard place being a leader. We just have to think about the government over the last two years when they've tried to do things we've all criticized, and when they haven't done things we've all criticized. It's a hard place being a leader, and what we see is Nehemiah in that hard place. What we then find in chapter 7 is that Nehemiah's work was not finished. Yes, the walls were completed, the gates were restored, but of course we know the building of the walls was just the beginning After all, a city is more than bricks and mortar. A city is the people. What about if we say, change the word city to church? Of course, the church is more than bricks and mortar. The church is about the people. Nehemiah enlists leadership. He establishes citizens and he encourages worship. And that's where we pick up the story today with the people gathering and asking Ezra to bring out the book of the law and to read from it. As a PCC, we met on Monday evening to start thinking about the vision. And we started by looking at where are we now as a church. We looked at the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities and the threats. Where are we now? And it's an opportunity to explore by looking at where we are now, where we might want to go, or more accurately, where God wants us to go. 
One thing that was brought up in that meeting and as a strength that we have always been and will always continue to be is a Bible-based church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We must stay true to the Word of God. We should never deviate from it. And what we see through chapter 8 is just that. The Israelites focusing on the book of the law. Obviously in those days it wasn't the Bible, but it was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. So Nehemiah turns his attention from focusing on the building, the physical building of the wall in the first few chapters, to now focusing on the spiritual rebuilding of Jerusalem for the last six chapters. And chapter 8 is all about instruction. We should not forget that the scriptures help to make the nation of Israel. And in many ways, this is the example that we as the modern day church should follow. Because when we fall away from loving, reading and obeying the word of God we get ourselves into a difficult place. If we want to be fruitful as a church, we have to put the word of God first. We have to delight in the word of God. We have to love the word of God, read the word of God, and obey the word of God. Ezra and Nehemiah put the word of God first in the life of the city. And that is crucial. Everything that happens from now on is a byproduct of the people's response to the scriptures. The primary task of the church is to preach the word of God and to hold true to the Bible despite what society says. We as the church are called to hold to the truth of this book and to follow it and to preach it. Because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to cleanse and revive the hearts of the people of God. That, friends, is me and you. The Holy Spirit will use this book to cleanse and revive our hearts as the people of God. Perhaps that should have been the fourth R. Renew, restore, rebuild, revive. So if God is to work through us, we must respond positively to his word. So today's title was Spiritual Reorientation. And that's going to be a key response if we are to succeed as a church. And I don't think this is working, Josh. (laughs) Thank you. It's going to be a key response if we're to succeed as a church. We have to follow Ezra and Nehemiah's example and put the word of God first in the life of the church. What happens in this church should be a byproduct of our response to the Bible. Just like for Nehemiah and Ezra in Jerusalem at the time, the response was a byproduct of people following the scriptures. That should be the same for us here. We want to make sure that as we renew, restore, and rebuild, we remain built on the word of God. And we put ourselves and our personal ambitions to one side so that we can work together for the glory of God. So there's three basic responses this morning. There's understanding the word. There's rejoicing in the word. And there is obeying the word. And our whole person must be captive to God's truth. Our mind 
to understand the word of God, our heart to rejoice in the word of God, and our will to obey the word of God. So to understand the word of God is something we must do. The Bible is not a magic book. It doesn't change because we read or recite it or we know it back to front. We, but we do need to understand it through the power of the Holy Spirit to release its life-changing power. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we get to see what the words are in this book. Interestingly, this week, while Amanda's been isolating, she asked me the other day uh, how I would respond to a question of how do vicars come up with new stuff every week to preach on because the Bible is so old? And it got me thinking, well, actually, how do we do it? Those of you that preach in this church, how do we come up with something new each week? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit reveals something new each week. Preaching on this perhaps five years ago would be very different to preaching on it today. When we get to Lent and we preach on the temptations of Jesus, it's something we do every year. But we always manage to find something new because it's alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we just read or recite it, it would be the same. But the Holy Spirit makes it into what it is today. Of course, Scripture is the same. I'm not saying Scripture changes. But our interpretation, the revelation, changes through the power of the Holy Spirit. In this chapter alone, we find the word understanding mentioned six times. So it must be important to understand the word of God. And if you notice, it's only those people old enough to understand that are permitted to this assembly where Ezra is. But interestingly, if we think too to Jesus and the parable of the sower, there is stuff there that he uses about understanding and receiving the word of God. It's like planting the seed in the soil where it takes root and it bears fruit. That's what the parable of the sower is about, where the seed lands on different places. And in many ways, here in Nehemiah, we're seeing the same thing. That the word of God is planted, it takes root, and it bears fruit. Ezra is the ideal man to conduct this assembly. He was a priest and a scribe who, in Ezra 7.10, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel. He'd been in Jerusalem for 14 years before Nehemiah, and he'd already sought to bring the people back to the ways of the Lord. Now the choice of meeting at the water gate is an interesting one. Because we know that in the Bible it tells us that water for washing is a picture of the word of God. And water for drinking is a picture of the spirit of God. The word of God is refreshing to our soul when we allow the spirit to teach us. And Ezra starts by bringing the book on the first day of the seventh month. Which is the equivalent to the Jewish New Year's Day. Ezra brings the book of the law. It's likely that it was the entire scroll of the Torah. But he probably didn't read it all during the assembly. Interestingly, we see the people were willing to stand and listen to Ezra. They had a respect for the word of God. And at the end, the people respond with, Amen, Amen. A united congregation that honored the scriptures, that honored the teachings of Moses. They didn't respect the book. They didn't honor the book itself, but it's the Lord who spoke to them through the book. That's what's important for us, 
is that we honor the Lord who speaks to us through his word. So I wonder if we show enough respect for the word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13 reminds us to give attention to the public reading of scripture. The churches which use liturgy, which are often classed as traditional churches in this day and age, are actually very good at reading scripture together. Because most of the Anglican liturgy actually comes from scripture. If you look through the common worship books, it is absolutely littered with references to scripture. But liturgy is often misunderstood, I think. Because it often means, oh, we have to do it this way. It's all about these words. Well, actually, liturgy simply means a form of public worship. That's what it means. And that's what we do when we gather each week to worship God. So I'd be worried if any church is described as non-liturgical. Because liturgy is about a public act of worship. How good are we at defending the word of God? Do we treat it like the word of God? Or do we decide to choose and cherry pick bits that are relevant to us and disregard those bits that aren't? How often are our Bibles sat on a shelf and not used? Or an app on our phone that's not opened? In church, we also place a lot of emphasis on time. In my curacy, I was limited to 10-minute sermons and no more. That doesn't necessarily give us time to fully explore the Word of God. Even here, where we aim for about 20, 25 minutes, it doesn't give us enough time fully to explore the Word of God. We find here that Ezra is teaching for hours over the seven days, possibly five or six hours a day, and the people are standing and listening attentively. I'm not saying we're going to have five or six-hour sermons, but we need to know that there is time to explore the Word of God. Ezra reads and explains the book. And remember in Nehemiah's time, those people that were gathered would not have their own copy of Scripture. So they would have been absolutely thrilled to hear the word of God spoken to them. The word is preached in a language they understand. The Hebrew they were speaking then was probably different to the ancient Hebrew that was, the Torah was written in. And interestingly, preaching in a language they understand is still one of the articles of religion for the Church of England today. When we preach, when we say things in church, we are to do it in a language that the people understand. There's no point using lots of Christianese if people people aren't going to understand it. I always think that when we say, we're going to pray the collect. Well, what's the collect? What's that word? And it simply just means that it's all the, all the Anglican churches saying the same prayer to unite us as a body of Christ. But how often is that explained? Not very often. What we also find in this passage is that the Levites assist Ezra in teaching the law. And there's a balance between public proclamation of the word in the large assembly and the personal application in a smaller group. Does that sound familiar to anyone? There is the public proclamation in a large assembly and then the application in the smaller group. So guess what? Our small groups, they've been, they're not a new thing. They were right back in Nehemiah's time as well. So we have to understand the word of God to apply it. Next slide, Josh, please. But we must also rejoice in the word of God. The first reaction of this assembly was conviction and grief and they mourned over their sins. The people should have been rejoicing in God's forgiveness, but they weren't. Because the word of God brings conviction, which leads to repentance, 
which brings us to joy. And that sequence is important. Conviction, repentance, and joy. Nehemiah and the Levites convinced the people to stop mourning and to start celebrating. We can stop mourning over sin and start celebrating because we are forgiven. And that's why it's so important that we have a time of confession at the beginning of our service so that we can repent of our sins so that then joy can come as we explore the word of God. We know that we will carry burdens, that we do carry burdens in this life. We know what it is to weep, but we also know that God can take our sorrow and transform it into joy through his word. For us to have joy is to believe what God says in his word and to act upon it. Faith that isn't based on the word of God is not faith. But faith based on the word of God will produce joy that will weather the storms of this life. We can't just read the word or receive the word, but we must rejoice in the word. Psalm 119 verse 162. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Again, thinking of a parable of Jesus, if we think of the parable of the hidden treasure, the farmer rejoices when he finds a jar filled with gold. So how diligently do we dig into God's word to find the great treasures that are in this book? We must read, meditate, and pray. And then when we find the treasure, we rejoice and we give thanks. If we're reading and studying the word of God out of duty, we might never find the treasures that are in this book. But when we do it and rejoice in it, and read and study it rejoicing, day by day we will find God's hidden treasures in this book. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the Lord is saying in the Bible. Do we rejoice enough in the word of God? Next one please, Josh. We must also obey the word of God. Now, obey is a tricky word, I think, in society these days. It has negative connotations. Often these days in marriage services, the word obey is not used anymore. But I think obey is the right word for obeying the word of God. Because when we obey the Lord and serve him in rejoicing, it becomes a delight. So obey is actually a positive thing. We obey the Lord and we serve him because we rejoice in him. So it becomes a delight. The Jews still had work to do in their city. And they needed the joy of the Lord to give them strength to do it. If we apply that today, we still have work to do in this church. And we, friends, are going to need the joy of the Lord to give us strength to do it. That's one reason why I think this passage is so important when we renew our vision, whilst reviewing it, sorry, that we understand, rejoice, and obey the word. Why? Because it brings us joy and delight. Why? It will bring about the best in us that God can use to further the kingdom. So friends, we need to be cheerful in serving him. In James 1.22, we're told to do what the word of God says. Here in Nehemiah, we see the people had joy in hearing the word, but also great gladness in obeying it. 
Can the same be said for us? Do we have joy when we hear the word of God? Do we have gladness when we obey the word of God? Have we become too dependent on ourselves and each other and not on the word of God to fully realize the potential of Christ church and what the Lord can and will do through us? Have we put personal ambition in the way of the word of God? Interesting, when Helen was speaking, uh, talking before, after the mercy song, have we put things that have come between us in the way of the word of God? Do we truly love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? And I'm afraid, friends, that I don't think we do yet. We're not there. We're not there as a church. We need to get better at loving each other as brothers and sisters. We need to get better at showing grace to each other if we are to go further as a church and to fully release the potential of this place. Now that might sound harsh, but I think we can achieve it and we can do that with the Lord working in us and through us and the Holy Spirit rebuilding us together, united as a church. We're now in the Amaya, we're in those seven days of the feasts. It is a time for the Israelites to look back, to remember the 40 years in the wilderness when they were lost. They weren't sure where to go. And interestingly, a word that came this morning as we were praying before the service was that sense of we need our vision because otherwise we're just walking around in the wilderness, in the lost. We need that vision to know what we are to do as a church. The feasts in Nehemiah is a time for looking around for the blessings of the hand of God. What is already at work amongst us? What can we do with those people who are part of this church already? We can do so much already. We don't have to keep thinking, well, when we get more people, when we do this, when we do that, we can start with the people that we have. We can honor God. The seven days of the feast is also a time for looking ahead to the glorious kingdom that God has promised. It's a time for us to look ahead to see what will become of this church. Not looking in a crystal ball, but looking to God to see what he is going to do through this church. The festival was a time of joyful praise and thanksgiving and a time to focus on the goodness of God. Are we going to focus on the goodness of God? This season, it is a time for us also to look back to the exile that we've been through. COVID, past issues in this church that the Lord has seen us through. Two years ago when COVID started and the church was shut, it was hard, six months in, and I had to say to you all, the church is closed. We were spent, we were distant for so long. We're just getting back together. We are coming back from an exile. It's a chance for us to look back and see how the Lord has seen us through these last two years and how the Lord has seen us through earlier things in this church. It's a time to see what we have now and that's something that we'll focus on at Latin Hall. For those of us that are going and those of us that are not, we'll, we'll send the information out. It's a time for us to see what we can achieve for the kingdom with the gifts that we all possess and that we all have. And it's a time to see how we can reach out into the community. The feast in Nehemiah is not for enjoyment alone, but it was for enrichment and encouragement too. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The world's joy is temporary. When that joy is gone, we're left with weakness and emptiness. 
But the joy that comes from the Lord, friends, is real and lasting and it will enrich our lives. God doesn't give us joy instead of sorrow or in spite of sorrow, but he gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. In John 16, Jesus illustrates this with the birth of a baby. The baby that gives the mother pain also gives the mother joy. Her pain is not replaced by joy, but it is transformed into joy. The difficult circumstances that we face in life are, if you like, pregnant with joy. And by faith, we must give time for that. We must give joy time to be born. This assembly shows a combination of joyful fellowship, feasting and hearing the word of God that strengthened the people greatly. The blessings of this celebration lasted for a time, but the people once again became careless and the leaders had to bring them back to the word of God. I believe that we are essentially in a season of the feast, looking back to what was not to hold on to, but to use those values to steer as an anchor for the future. We're looking to see what we have in this place, what we can already give to the glory of God, and we are looking ahead. Through this season... I hope that it will bring us back together as brothers and sisters who love one another, who care for one another, who have grace and mercy for one another. So that Christ at the heart of us. And I believe that as Christ strengthens us, we will move forward together. We will move forward united under a vision from God. Over the last few weeks as I've been praying, I've kept seeing a picture of this church covered in dust. But as we look to this vision, it's almost like the Lord is blowing over the church and all that dust is disappearing and it is sparkling and gleaming once again. We'll be a beacon of hope once again for the community and for those who are lost, those who are suffering. Why? Because we're built on the word of God and when we are united together, we will do great things. There are times in the history of the church general that God's spirit has burdened people to pray, to search the scriptures and confess their sins. And from those spiritual exercises, it seen, God has seen fit to bring fresh life to his people. It happened in Nehemiah's day. It's what we read about. It can happen again today. Friends, can God begin with you? Do you have a burden to pray, to search the scriptures and confess your sins? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 as we start the service with. Are we willing to pray, search the scriptures, confess our sins and humble ourselves before the Lord? Last week at our intercessors prayer meeting, the picture that came to one person were the letters in neon, neon lights, the F, F and an I, in bright neon lights. They only spell one word, if. There was a sense as we carried on in our prayer that as a church, we need to humble ourselves before God. Are we willing to do so? Are we willing to surrender to him so that he can accomplish what only he can do. What will this church look like when we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? When we humble ourselves before God and we let God do what only God can do.
We're going to listen to the song that Helen used, We Bow Down and Confess Once Again. I don't want you to sing. Stay seated. Let those words wash over you. Perhaps take it as an opportunity to bow down and confess and to humble yourself before God. And friends, if there is something between, between some others in this church that you know of, go and speak to each other. Bring that healing that we need to move forward. It's time to humble ourselves before God, to rebuild this church as brothers and sisters in Christ with no one left out, no one left on the side, but with each and every person as part of this family for the glory of God. So let's bow down and confess where we failed.